Good morning, and welcome to Med Talks. My name is Robin, and I will be your host for today's episode. Patients and consumer education is a hot topic in healthcare right now. It affects both patients and healthcare providers. We receive a lot of questions from our listeners asking what patient consumer education is exactly, and what does the research say about patient and consumer education? How is this education important to nursing and the populations that nurses serve? And how will patient consumer education change in the future? Our first guest today is Jackie. She'll be joining us in studio. Thank you, Robin, for the warm welcome. I'm so happy to be here today. With the changes in technology and access to information on the internet, it is especially important to talk about patient and consumer education. Patient and consumer education can include a variety of things, such as patient education about a new diagnosis, new medications, treatment plan, health promotion activities, healthcare delivery system, and how and when to contact healthcare providers, and the list could go on and on. The goal of patient and consumer education is to ensure that our patients and consumers are well-informed and empower them to participate in their own care. Let's start off with a fun little exercise. Are you okay with that? Yes, let's do it. I'm definitely up for an exercise. All right, Robin, let's say that you're the patient. You haven't been feeling very good and you have this terrible cough. You're wondering what could be, what could be causing your cough and what could make it better. So you do a, a Google search. Robin, can you type into the Google search cause of a cough? Let me know how many results you get. Wow. So when I typed into searching for causes of a cough into Google, I received like 122 million results. That is a lot. I always like to start off with that exercise. 122 million results. That is a lot of information. Talk about information overload. Sometimes we might see patients using Google uh, to look at their symptoms prior to calling the doctor's office. Other times, patients are using the internet to try and learn more about a new diagnosis or how to improve their health, or just looking at what, what could be causing their symptoms. I myself know that I have turned to Dr. Google before um, when having a symptom. As a first-time pregnant mom, I was never sure if what I was experiencing as a symptom was a normal sign of pregnancy. And so to Dr. Google, I went looking for information. And what I found was millions and millions of results. And the more information that I would look at, the more, more overwhelmed I would, would get. And this would cause me some anxiety. Technology makes more information available to everyone, but more is not always better. Misinformation can occur. The hard part for patients and consumers and healthcare providers alike is determining what information is accurate and valid to the current situation. So Jackie, why do I, as a patient or a consumer of healthcare, need to be educated? Isn't that why we go see healthcare providers in the first place? Because they're knowledgeable? Isn't that what they went to school for and get paid the big bucks for? You are correct in that the healthcare providers are educated and knowledgeable. They also do get paid the big bucks. They are a great resource for you when you have any questions or concerns regarding your health care. Healthcare providers can also point you in the right direction for additional educational resources that are valid and useful to you as a patient. 
And these educational resources can be specialized to what your preferences are for learning. Patient and consumers who are educated find that there are many benefits to being well-educated. So Jackie, tell me a little bit more about the benefits of patient-consumer education. Patients that are educated are typically more engaged in their care. Patients who are educated and engaged in their care typically have better outcomes and increased satisfaction with their care. We have talked a lot about patient and consumer education and the importance of it. How we deliver our education to our patients is also very important. There are many factors that need to be looked at when we are providing education to our patients, such as health literacy, patients preferred learning style, culture, language, and their technological abilities. We have seen many changes in patient and consumer education over the years and I expect for it to continue to change as technology continues to evolve. Thank you so much, Jackie, for your time. Next, we are going to talk to Megan, a research specialist in the field of patient and consumer education. We just heard Jackie give us a background on patient and consumer education. Megan, what can you tell us about this topic? Good morning, Robin, and thank you for having me. There is ample amount of research out there on patient and consumer education. It is such a hot topic right now because patients are taking their health into their own hands and they want to know what is going on with them. Ideally, anyone can put anything out there on the internet, right? So patients are frequently self-diagnosing and coming into their primary care providers with many concerns that often have nothing to do with what is happening to them. They ask questions about super rare diseases just because most of their symptoms line up. I would be lying if I said I never have actually done this myself. So this leads up to misinformation and the topic on patient and consumer education. I have to admit, Megan, I myself thought I had Ebola when the whole outbreak was going on. And of course, it turns out to just have been a stomach bug. What is the current literature telling us on misinformation on healthcare that we're getting from the internet? Hungerford, an MD, wrote an article about the internet producing misinformed patients. He talks about how the internet is providing information that patients are unprepared to interpret, which in turn is causing confusion. Patients are now coming into their primary care providers telling them what they want when before they used to come in asking what they need. Most patients don't know what PubMed is, and if they do, most of them do not know how to interpret the data available in this database. Patrick, Anasova, and Kamen conducted a study to investigate e-health literacy of users on online health communities through an online survey. They found in their study of 644 users on online health communities that the most reported statistically significant underdeveloped dimensions of e-health literacy were being smart on the net and understanding information. When I interpret this, this means that patients know that they are not understanding the health information that they are reading on the internet. This is all starting to make sense now. This is likely why people go to their primary health care providers with tons of questions. How do they even know if the information they're reading is reliable? Exactly. Providers must use their wisdom to interpret whether the data their patients are reporting is accurate. The question is, are published articles on scholarly databases even high quality? 
For example, Cassidy and Baker, an orthopedic surgeon and an orthopedic fellow, decided to critique 38 peer-reviewed articles published since 2010 about orthopedic information. They concluded that overall the information from these articles are of poor quality when examining the quality of assessment tools. If peer-reviewed articles are sometimes reported as being of poor quality based on provider wisdom, what does that say for the multiple other avenues that patients use to obtain health information? Megan, that's very interesting. So with all this information, what can primary care providers do to improve this misinformation issue? I'm glad you asked. The most important action healthcare providers can take is to provide patient and consumer education. So Megan, what does the current literature say about patient and consumer education? Since this is such a hot topic right now, let's discuss the immunization crisis. Many parents are being exposed to inaccurate information about the risks of vaccination through the media. Vaccines cause autism, right? Or at least that's what I heard on the news a few years back. Absolutely not, which is why this is a perfect example. Parents are concerned about their children's safety, rightfully so. There's no research to support that immunization causes autism. For example, Panetta and Myers discuss in their article that parents are getting their information from all the wrong places. It is a healthcare provider's job to educate parents and patients alike where to get reliable information. Panetta and Myers specifically discuss vaccinations and that parents should start by referring to the CDC, the National Network for Immunization Information, the World Health Organization, and other websites like these for their information about vaccinations. This applies to many other diseases and treatments, not just vaccinations. I really hope this information helped to broaden everyone's understanding of the current literature out there and the importance of patient and consumer education. Megan, thank you so much for your time. We're going to go ahead and continue our topic with our next guest, Elisa. She is an expert in patient education and is going to discuss the importance of consumer health and educating patient population. Elisa, tell me why this topic of patient and consumer health is important specifically to nursing. Well, being an educator has always been a role that nurses fill, whether formal or informal. Even before the germ theory was developed, Florence Nightingale was teaching about the difference between clean and dirty. Educating each other and our patients is at the core of what a nurse does. Right now, we're in the middle of what is called the knowledge age. So the patient has become the consumer, and in an attempt to empower themselves, they are demanding up-to-the-minute access to their own charts, and they are looking to technology to interpret their own information. So how exactly does that change how nurses are having to educate patients? For starters, we need to provide information in a timely manner. Patients are no longer satisfied to wait a week for their results and then follow up with an appointment 10 days later to have the results interpreted. Patients expect that when they arrive for an appointment, they will leave with answers. When this isn't the case, patients turn to their own devices, literally. Health information is no longer only accessible to those who went to medical school or became nurses. As Jackie talked about earlier, Patients have access to hundreds of thousands of articles about their symptoms with the click of a button. One recent survey suggested that 8 in 10 Americans who are online have searched for health information. So what else are patients looking for in education besides timeliness? Patients want personalized and focused information. 
Lisa, how are providers and nurses fulfilling patient demands for such personalized education? Education is transitioning from flyers and pamphlets to classes and online communication. Many healthcare organizations have started using online patient portals and messaging services as the main source of information for educating patients. This allows for rapid, personalized patient education. Correspondence is initiated and maintained by nurses. Nurses have also been called on to come up with innovative ideas about how to engage patients. Providers are competing with interactive, exciting technology when offering patient education. In order to compete with this technology, providers are turning to things like e-brochures and 24-7 online chat lines that have become available. Wow, that is really a lot of changes. So with all of those changes, what, what has stayed the same? I'm glad you asked because one piece of advice will always ring true. Know your audience. Even in the knowledge age, it's important to be aware of two key things when evaluating how best to educate your patient. What is this person's health literacy level? And what is their online access? Alisa, tell me more about online access. Is that really still a concern in today's technology age? Unfortunately, yes, it is. There is still a digital divide, even in the United States, meaning there's still a population of people who do not have access to the internet. Though many initiatives have been put in place to increase broadband access across the country, there are still some areas and some homes that do not have access. It's important to ask patients about their access to the internet if it's going to be used as the primary means for education. In addition to this, and possibly more important, is the responsibility to ask patients if they want to use the internet for education. Which brings me back to health literacy and the different populations to consider. Tell me what you mean when you say health literacy. What is that exactly? It's the idea of taking into account the patient's willingness to learn, their reading ability, what their cultural and language background is, their existing knowledge, and then their preferred method of learning, which I mentioned earlier. For example, let's consider a population called the gray gap. That is the gap of people to whom the connectivity for online learning is available, but it is not their preferred method of learning. While some might think this is determined by age, that's not always the case. The question of preferred method of learning should be asked regardless of age. This question will help determine if a patient will use online access, but it also gives a person who maybe can't read but is embarrassed to say so, the to say they prefer a phone call or in-person teaching. Elisa, what other things should our listeners consider? Yes, as I mentioned earlier, it is important to take into consideration the culture and language of a patient. It's always best when possible to give non-English speaking patients education in their native, both written and spoken, with the use of an interpreter, as well as offering them follow-up resources to arise. In addition to this, it's important to remember that health literacy and education is best when started young. Technology needs to be utilized to appeal to a young generation. Existing knowledge is part of assessing health literacy, and when we proactively engage youth in learning basic health principles, it allows for better education when health eyes. Elisa, thank you very much for your time. Now we will turn this over to Professor Therese Hughes, who teaches nursing informatics 
of the Future at Vanderbilt. Professor Hughes, how do you imagine the future of patient and consumer education? Precision medicine is here, and with the unlimited amount of information available via the internet, social media, and so forth, patient and consumer education has evolved and will continue to do so. Technology is advancing at a rapid pace. As advanced practice nurses, we need to incorporate new technologies to reach our patients most effectively. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is already being incorporated into healthcare today, such as in areas of imaging and chatbots. For example, have you ever been online to check on maybe your cell phone account or the internet? Assuming a lot of people have, an online chat person will pop up and offer to help you. This is an example of a chatbot. It is an automated and will eventually go to a real person if the questions are unable to be triaged. Professor Hughes, as you know, many of our listeners are advanced practice nurses. What advice would you provide to them about consumer education, technology, and learning? As advanced practice nurses, we need to update our own education and technology and learning. For example, at Vanderbilt, where I work, we have employed the use of a second life, which is a virtual reality embedded education project funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Second Life provides a futuristic way to engage nursing as well as patients. This has um, been published recently by Weiner, Trangstein, McNew, and Gordon. This virtual world project was employed as a learning tool for students in the Consumer Health Informatics class at Vanderbilt School of Nursing. Here is a visual scenario to summarize the tool. Imagine, if you will, in the near future. A patient logs into the virtual office and avatars greet the patient. The stimulation occurs such that the patient feels they are entering the office and are greeted by their personal avatar health coach. Additional rooms are available for the patient to explore, such as the Reality Check Cafe, which is a 3D learning environment created in the Second Life virtual reality world that provides illustrations relating calorie intake to physical activity and educates the patient on smart choices when eating out. This is just one example of a new way and technology that we are using for patient and consumer education today. Also, may I recommend a great read for the providers of the future? That is a provocative and intriguing book by Eric DePaul called Deep Medicine. In his book, DePaul shares a not-too-distant future where a patient or consumer may utilize a personalized tracker or device, think Alexa, Apple Watch, and so on, that will sync with your day and tailor education and medical advice to your current situation. Such a near future is not too far off. So what do we need to keep in mind for the future of patient and consumer education? Of course, technology literacy is necessary for virtual reality and AI technology to be useful for patients and consumers and providers. Not all patients will be able to utilize these advanced options. For those who are literate in technology, 
These technologies can provide great alternatives to face-to-face environments and promote patient engagement. Thank you, Professor Hughes, for joining us today. And thank you to all of our guests for coming in and discussing patient and consumer education. As always, if you are interested in viewing a full reference list, please see our website. And next week, we'll be discussing personal health records. We hope you'll join us then.